Well, we are studying in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and as we reach the middle of Paul's letter to his son in the faith, we find the heart of Paul's reason for writing to Timothy. He says this, I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of truth. Paul hoped to quickly return to Ephesus. But in the event he was delayed, he wanted Timothy to make certain the believers knew how to conduct themselves in the household of God. By now, the church in Ephesus was several years old, and it was a very influential church, but it wasn't without its problems. And Timothy had been asked by Paul to stay on in Ephesus and help resolve those problems. Now, as we've already noted, Timothy was young, and he lacked personal authority. So this letter served not only to give him instructions, but to give him the apostolic authority to tell the leaders in Ephesus what needed to be done and what both he and the leaders needed to know was how to conduct themselves in the household of God. Now, by conduct in the household of God, Paul is not talking about our behavior in church services. If that were the case, we would expect to find a long list of do's and don'ts, like speak softly, sit quietly, stay awake, go to the bathroom before church starts, silence your phones, and most importantly, don't criticize the preacher. (laughs) But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about our conduct as the family of God. The household of God is not what is sometimes referred to as the house of God. It's not a church building. You know, God doesn't live in a building. He lives in our hearts. Now, he does indwell this place when we come together to worship and for teaching and fellowship. But we do not come here to visit God. We bring God into this place when we gather together as the household of God. Now, we are expected to conduct ourselves with decency and order when we gather. And Paul's had some specific things to say about what should and should not go on in our public gatherings. And he is concerned about how we behave one hour a week. But he's even more concerned about how we conduct ourselves all week long. You know, Paul's primary concern is how we live as God's family, in the home, in the workplace, and in society at large. And to make sure we conduct ourselves properly, he's already reminded us of the role elders and deacons are to play in our life. The elders, the shepherds God has placed over us, 
are to oversee our walk in the Lord. They are to make certain that we know and understand and follow the will of God. The deacons, the men and women who have accepted positions of servanthood in the church, make sure our needs are met and that we are adequately equipped for service to Christ. And Paul carefully outlined the qualifications for those who would take on leadership and servanthood responsibilities in the church. But his concern over, isn't over organizational aspects of the church so its services can run smoothly. That's not his, his concern. It was so the church could function effectively in the world as the household of God as the church of the living God. Now, the word translated church is ecclesia, which actually means called out ones. Now, that doesn't mean the church is a select body of the chosen few. To understand what Paul meant by ecclesia, we need to see how it was used in Greek culture. And in Athens, the governing body was called the ecclesia. It was made up of the citizens of Athens who met together in assembly. But not every citizen of Athens was part of the ecclesia. When a summons went out to come to the assembly, all were invited. But only those who answered the summons constituted the ecclesia. Now, I think that's a beautiful picture of the church. You know, no one is excluded from being a part of the church. God has issued a summons to everyone, inviting all to be a part of his household. He has not barred anyone. But as in Athens, only those who respond to his summons constitute the called out ones because they are the only ones who have come out. We are the called out ones of God because we have responded to the call of the living God. And Paul wanted to make sure the church in Ephesus understood that they were indeed the church of the living God. Ephesus, the city, was famous as home to the temple of Artemis or Diana. Multitudes from around the world came there to bow before an image of their goddess, which was actually a meteorite that resembled the figure of a woman. In doing so, they actually became the church of a fallen star in more ways than one. We, on the other hand, are the church of the living God, the creator of heaven and earth. And we have been called out by the living God to be his household, to represent him on earth, and to reveal the truth. To be, as Paul put it, the pillar and support of truth. The temple of Artemis was a magnificent structure, consisting of 127 pillars, each the gift of a king. All were made of marble, and many were studded with jewels and 
overlaid with gold, depending on the wealth of the king who donated it. The pillars were therefore more often thought of as displays of wealth than architectural supports. And that may be why Paul said they were both pillar and support. You know, pillars were often used to simply display something, to display a statue, something that was to be seen by all. And Paul wanted to make clear that we are not only pillars, but also supports, actual supports of truth. The church is called out to display the truth of God and to hold it high for all to see, to reflect the truth of God in all it says and does. But the church is also to undergird society with the truth of God. Now, those are awesome responsibilities, and they certainly go beyond Sunday morning services or church pronouncements. They require that collectively and individually, we stand for the truth in the midst of a world full of fantasy and falsehood. And obviously, we are surrounded by fantasy in the world, fantasies about what constitutes success in life, what brings happiness, what satisfies. Fantasies about manhood and womanhood, fantasies about our origins and our future. We are bombarded with fantasies and outright falsehoods. And in the midst of that, we are to hold up the truth, truth about the real nature of life and man, and God. Truth about sin, and evil, and death. Truth that has been revealed to us by the living God, and truth that he once shared with all mankind. That is the work of those who have responded to God's summons, the called out ones. That's my work and yours. Now, obviously, this isn't just something we can talk about when we gather on Sunday mornings. This is something we must demonstrate in the world by the way we live out the truth of God, the way we conduct ourselves. You are the pillar and support of truth, wherever you are. As part of the household of God, you must uphold the truth by word and by action. You must counter the dangerous fantasies of your neighbors and fellow workers and family members. You must speak the truth in a world that wants to believe lies. And that's not easy. In fact, it's very hard. And that's why we need each other. That's why we must get together to instruct and encourage one another. That's why we must together seek the mind of Christ for dealing with specific situations and issues in our society. We have to search the scriptures. We have to discuss. We have to think. We have to know the truth about the issues that confuse our world. The truth about sex and gender and abortion and origins, and war. The truth about sin, and sickness, and death, and life after death. 
We need to proclaim the truth. And we need to confront each other when we are not living according to the truth. The world will not believe us if we don't live the truth we proclaim. And living it is always the hardest part. Some years ago, I had a friend share with me that her unmarried daughter was pregnant. She was obviously distraught. And the thing that upset her as much as anything was the fact that she was giving thought to something she had opposed publicly for years. She was her church's representative to right to life. And now she was thinking about abortion. Now, the world makes that sound like a reasonable option, but it isn't. And she knew it. But it's hard to do the right thing. She needed the encouragement of a Christian friend to do the right thing. I gave it, and she did it. To be the pillars of truth, we need to help each other stand firm. It's our job, collectively and individually, as the called-out ones, to live and to tell the truth. And what is the secret to living the truth? It's knowing and allowing the truth to live within us. And what is the truth? It is none other than the one who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is the truth. Paul continues. And by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh, was vindicated in the spirit, beheld by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Now, as we noted last week, the word mystery, as it's used here, does not refer to something mysterious, but to something that has been revealed. So what Paul is saying here is that the secret of godliness, the secret to living a life that reflects the truth of God, is found in our common confession. And what is our common confession? It is the reality of the life of Christ. Our common confession is the person of Jesus. And Paul expresses that truth by either writing or quoting a hymn concerning Christ. And in parallel poetic fashion, he begins by speaking of Christ as he who was revealed in the flesh. This speaks of the incarnation of Christ, how God became a man and dwelt as a man to show us truth about ourselves and God. He then states that Christ was vindicated in or by the Spirit, and most likely that is a reference to the fact 
that Christ's divine nature was proven by the activity of the Holy Spirit in his life. Through visible manifestations, such as appearing in the form of a dove at his baptism, through the supernatural miracles he performed, and ultimately through the resurrection, we know God's Spirit was in Jesus. Then he says Christ was beheld by angels, which is probably a reference to the fact that the hosts of heaven witnessed all that Christ did on earth. We know they were present at his birth, in the wilderness during the temptations, and in the garden of Gethsemane at his resurrection. They were, in fact, witnesses to the whole grand drama of redemption. But the message wasn't for their sake. It was for ours. For he was proclaimed among the nations. The news that God became a man so men could live forever with him is good news indeed. News that gives purpose and meaning to our existence. News that all men need to hear. And gratefully, it is news that has been delivered and believed on in the world. You know, sometimes we feel like we're alone. Sometimes we feel like the church has no voice. But millions have responded to the summons of God and have become part of the household of God. They are living and proclaiming the truth. And they are awaiting the return of Christ, the one who was taken up in glory. This confession is the secret of godliness. It is the truth embodied in a person a person who is not only the Son of God, but is God himself. The God who made us, who visited us, who then returned to the spiritual realms so he could indwell us and work through us while we are here on earth. And the God who can make us the household of God, the called out ones who have responded to his invitation into the pillars and support of truth. There is no higher calling on earth. We live in a world that is filled with lies and false news. We've got the truth. We've got the good news that needs to be shared. And we do it by speaking it and by living it. That's our job as a household of God. Don't let the world deceive you. Don't be charmed by the fantasies and falsehoods of the world, by what the hymn writer calls the world's delight. Focus on that which is higher and nobler. Focus on the truth of God. And then proclaim it and live it. That is our job. That is our role in society. And if you're resolved 
to do so. Let's do it. Let's stand.